Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. Welcome back to my TV room and uh, where things will continue to be displaced until things are not displaced. I, the good news is I tiled um, my daughter's bathroom floor this week. Uh, yeah, put the backboard in and the tile and my um, back and knees and fingers and everything feels like it's about to fall off. But uh, real quickly, I wanted to thank this week's sponsor. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by absolutely nobody but me. Yeah, it's just me here uh, in this TV room by myself while everybody else is sleeping. And uh, at least I got one of my cats. One of my cats is here. It's just Cleo this time. So anyway, uh, I do want to try something this week. Um, I, I've talked several times about Acorns, which is a platform for investing uh, on the podcast. And I use Acorns. I love Acorns. I do something called Daily Contributions, where I, I put a certain amount of um, money in the stock market every day rather than once a month. Because once a month to me feels like a bill. Um, but I like the option of doing daily contributions. You can start at like five bucks, like a cup of coffee or something like that and work your way up from there if you want to. Um, and I, I find that that's like a really great way to just be like, Oh, like I don't miss this money as much as I thought I would, but somehow it's accruing and growing. Um, and it's attached to some pretty, some pretty great stocks as well. Anyway, so what I've done is on my, if you go to my Instagram page, which is uh, Creative Income Podcast on Instagram, uh, follow the link in the bio. I think you get five bucks if you follow the link and sign up for Acorns. They're literally not a sponsor for the podcast, but um, I get some, some kickbacks uh, just from promotional stuff that they do if you follow the link and do it. All I need, I think, I think I just need three people to sign up for it. I freaking love the platform, and this, like I said, is not an ad. This is just me enjoying something that somebody else made. Uh, anyway, this week is is really, really exciting for me. I, I've been listening to the Wandering DP podcast for, I think, four or five years now, and uh, and Patrick was awesome enough to see the value in what we're doing here and came on, and I think he's going to post it on his channel as well. Um, so he's a cinematographer, but also started this podcast and a Patreon page, and um, a lot of what he's doing is, is something that I aspire to eventually do with this audience. And so let's, uh, let's jump on in. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Patrick, thanks so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So uh, I want to kind of get into what you, what you do and uh, what exactly is that? Uh, well, I would say that I'm a cinematographer and uh, in sort of the job that has slowly but surely started to take over more and more of my time is, uh, I don't know, I guess I would say I'm a content provider for people in the cinematography space that has become uh, more and more a thing that I do and, and that takes up my time. It started initially just as a way to document my experience and now has become, uh, and it's, it's taken on a life of its own. So I would say one part cinematographer, one part um, content provider around cinematography and that could be educational. It could be, you know, interviews. It's a, it's a, an ever changing field basically. Mm -hmm. Is there one that you enjoy over the other? Oh, uh, the cinematography, no doubt is the most fun. And that, that really is the, it's the driving, um, the driving force behind all of the others, right? It's just to get the, the way that I've gone about it is how can I, uh, or the way that I've thought about it is how can I get as much information, um, as possible out of the people that I talk to, out of the things that I do with my time to become a better cinematographer. You know, I showed up late 
to cinematography. So I always, even though it was all in my head, I always felt like it was an uphill battle. I had to catch up to other people or I just had to catch up, catch up on my knowledge, not even comparing myself to others. Just like, okay, I've only got a certain amount of working years. How can I get up to speed as quick as possible and start to produce some of the work that I think I'm capable of or that I would like to be able to do? And one of the ways was just yeah. fast tracking information as much as I could. So that is where all of the content started is, is being able to do that and then go out and see the results and see if it worked and see if it was helping. And lo and behold, it really, really helped, which um, came as a surprise, but really, you know, looking back, shouldn't have. Yeah. So why did you start Wandering DP? Was it uh, for selfish purposes to hopefully get other cinematographers on the show and steal their information? Or was it more the opposite where you enjoyed providing information to help fast track some of other uh, cinematographers' careers? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it would be the, a glorious thing to say that I did it for the betterment of everyone and, and you know, trying to help out my fellow person. But that was just not it at, at all. And, uh, and people that listen to my show will know that I go on all the time. Like I, I literally started it because I wanted to talk to someone in the space because they were doing work that I could not understand. I just wasn't at a spot in my career and there wasn't enough education online to be able to tell me how they were doing what they were doing. So I thought, well, let's just go straight to the source. Maybe there's there's something that I'm not picking up on or there's something that they're doing or there's a whole nother level out there that essentially seemed like black magic. Like there just wasn't, there didn't seem to be a path to the yeah. level of work that was going on. So I said, okay, if there's no path and someone is actually doing it, that maybe they are the only person that has this information. So I reached out and thought, well, maybe they won't waste their time talking to one person, but if it can be leveraged to, you know, using their time to, to talk to many people and maybe they would get more benefit out of that and they'd be more comfortable. Now, who knows? Maybe I could have talked to uh, the cinematographer was actually, his name's Max Goldman. I mean, just an amazing cinematographer. And maybe he was, you know, I just lucked on uh, a very nice person and he would have talked to me one-on-one, -on -one, but I, I didn't want to take any chances. So I went in with the, uh, you know, the idea that oh, I would do a podcast and you can help out so many people and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and you know, lo and behold, he said, yes. So that, that was how it sort of kickstarted. And then once I got on there, I was like, wow, this is, this is really good. And I, I haven't seen this stuff anywhere else where people, he was so happy to share, you know, the, like, I yeah. don't know, questions had just not been asked or they hadn't been asked at this level in terms of, you know, it wasn't like we were interviewing Roger Deakins in the, so for some big giant movie, this was just a commercial that I was interested in. So I just yeah. thought, well, let's just keep going and find other people who are doing great stuff. Was it ever something you thought that you could monetize while you were getting it going? Uh, I, I thought that I could monetize it in the in the, the same way that I think about it now, which is every time that I speak to someone and I get better, my skills sort of uh, yeah. separate themselves from people around me. And the more that I can do yeah. that, the more I can become uh, a better version of myself as a cinematographer. That's the, that's the way I originally Perfect. thought of it. And that's still to this day when I think about, okay, how am I going to decide what to do with my time and where am I going to invest my time to become a better cinematographer? Because that's still the goal, right? Even whatever it is, eight years later now, is still... Um, how can I draw as much benefit from this as possible? Like the maximum efficiency that I can get because I'm still in that battle of uphill, you know, even though it's been a, um, well, not a long career at this point, but I've, you know, I'm not brand new. Um, it's still just a battle every single day to go out there and I see stuff that is better and I see stuff that I would like to be doing or I see techniques that I want to use and want to try. And so it's still, I still have that mindset of um, monetizing it through just, well, this, it's definitely working. Like I'm definitely getting better. So I just need to do more yeah. of it faster. Yeah, I always say that too on, the, on this podcast, which I'm very new to. Um, but uh, if I were to say that it was solely for the benefit of other people, it would be a complete lie. You know, I, I have to make sure that there, it goes both ways. And so far, it's been very beneficial for others. And they're texting me and they're giving me information and kind of a, hey, man, it's really helping out. And I appreciate that. But in the meantime, I'm 
getting the chance to talk to people that I wouldn't otherwise get the chance to. I'm, I'm opening doors. I'm learning really creative new uh, ways to generate income. So it is absolutely beneficial and does go both ways. So, so it's nice to hear you say that as well. Um, I want to talk to you about cinematography just a little bit. We'll, we'll come back to Wondering DP. Um, talk to me about uh, how you were able to even get started in the business. Was it something that uh, came very easy uh, to make money at? Or um, talk to me about some of the beginnings. And well, I started out, uh, people that would listen to my show will know, I, I started out as a colorist and, well, not even a colorist, like that's a good, uh, you know, painting myself in a very uh, positive light. I, I was helping someone out that I knew in between. I, I used to play rugby and in the off season, uh, I would come back to the States and uh, at the time in Los Angeles and I would help out. And I, I started to see the, th- the, the, the work come in. I started to see the quality of the work come in for commercials specifically. And I got interested in, okay, maybe I could be a colorist because it's kind of fun, you know, you're, you're playing around and, and it was before resolve had become as widespread as it is now. And before it was free. So everyone had access to it. It was like a little niche thing that I had never heard about. I didn't know it was part of the process, but I got interested in it just through, you know, being bored, not having a job for three months out of the year and, and wanting to do something basically and hang out with my friends. So that's, that's how it started. But then I needed in order to be able to work on and practice, you know, when the facility was letting me, I needed stuff to, 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 to practice on. So I was going about shooting my own stuff and trying to get different looks and then uh, work that through the footage and eventually realized that I sort of had a personality that was better suited to not being in a dark room all day. Uh, it was uh, more fun to go out there and shoot the stuff and create the problems that somebody else would solve. So that's a, initially how I caught the bug just by sheer boredom of like, well, what am I going to do with my life? Um, after rugby, or what am I going to do, you know, with these three months in here? So it was just about finding an interest. And, you know, I'd never done photography, never done cinematography, never even thought about it. Uh, went to, you know, university and got a degree in a completely different subject and never even once crossed my mind. Um, but then afterwards uh, I sort of stumbled along and one thing leads to another where, you know, you start shooting for yourself, then you start shooting for other people. And before you know it, you end up shooting commercials. And that's, uh, that's, but those were the stumbling blocks along the way to, to get me to where I am now, which is basically, um, yeah, I shoot mainly commercials. I've done a feature before, but mainly commercials and, and, uh, and that's the vibe right now. Okay. And how did you know to initially charge, uh, you know, what was your day rate? How were you able to scale that? Did you eventually have to uh, look for representation to help you negotiate some of those contracts? Talk to me about, um, the, the financial aspects. Yeah. So originally it was just, you know, I'm going out there and shooting for whatever money that you had available to you. I think everybody starts in the same process where it's such a small business. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in Los Angeles, doesn't matter if you're in New York or London or wherever it is, we're here where I'm at in Australia. It is, it's still a people person business, right? And you still, as long as you don't disappoint people, as long as you don't, you know, um, basically kibosh the whole job, your, your people will come back to you, right? You deliver results. Uh, people will like that. You're a nice, agreeable person that has a positive personality that works hard. People will come back to that. So I started just shooting for anybody. It's like, okay, whatever it is, I'll come out there. Whatever the rate is, you tell me what the rate is. And then, or more or less over time, you start to realize, okay, well, these, these types of jobs uh, usually have this much money, whatever it is, say it's a thousand dollars a day. Well, if I, if I continue to do these jobs, it's going to be a thousand dollars a day because I'm bringing in so many clients that it's actually not worth my time to take up a day agreeing to do it for $600 a day. And then from there, it scales up to two grand to three grand to whatever it is that wherever it is you are in your marketplace. And for me in Australia, in the, the world that we're um, living in here at the moment with commercials, yeah, it's, it's anywhere, you know, the, the highest level people will be anywhere from, you know, five to $6,000 a day to the low end will be uh, $3,000 a day for 
the cinematographer skills. And people think, wow, that's, you know, that's quite a bit of money. But I am, I have kept track of every single day that I have worked since, basically since coming to Australia. Um, I've kept track. And it's not like, you know, it's not like you're a normal person in the crew. Well, unless you're some crazy successful cinematographer where you're working <laughs> 20 days a month, right? This just doesn't happen. It's the way, especially in commercials, even though there's not a whole lot of prep, there's, it's just a schedule thing where it would be really hard. And I'm sure there are people out there that do it. I just don't that to work that many days in a month. So it ends up being significantly yeah. less days in a month than that. Um, so although it sounds nice, um, really, you're not really using your skills that much. So that's sort of where the rate comes in and where compared to other people on set, it might be significantly higher, but you're working significantly less, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, talk to me about equipment a little bit. I, I know that you, you own Alexa Mini, Alexa Mini LF and some lenses and a monitor and some filters and stuff. So a lot of cinematographers don't do that, right? They, uh, they don't see the value in owning equipment so that they can cater to the job, right? And, and I understand the strengths in that, but I also understand that I mean, for me personally, on equipment has has opened so many doors. You know, I've got uh, Lexa Mini LF, Signature Primes, Ultra Primes, Kina Vista Primes. I've got a lot of glass, and and that's all been very beneficial for me in creating more revenue. So, talk to me about uh, what you first started investing in in terms of equipment and how that's been able to help you in your career. Yeah, uh, I've got sort of a two part answer to this. One part I think is beneficial for people, and the other part is really unique to my situation. The first one being that when you're starting out, you know, the trick is if you're going to try and climb the ranks as fast as you can, is you have to take whatever budget that you have and make it look better than whatever that budget is. And the people that are giving you that budget have to be impressed and they have to be uh, enthusiastic about the results. So the, the more you can produce early on, like above the level of what you're at. And, and when you're starting out, that's quite easy, right? Because there's extremely low expectations. So having gear yeah. that is a little bit better than everybody else's gear makes a huge difference, especially when you're a terrible cinematographer, right? Which everybody is when you're starting out. It's really hard. It's not like a just a natural skill that you'll have. So if you have better equipment starting out, right, which takes a big you know, it's a giant risk. You got to go out there and you got to buy whatever equipment that you can get your hands on. That's going to be a little bit better for whatever situation you're in. You deliver results that are better than expected and people reward you with more work, right? So uh, in the beginning it was, well, let's get the best stuff that we can afford and that we can make work. And uh, in my case, it was red jumping into the red ecosystem. And, you know, like there, there are benefits of owning your own gear where you can do your personal stuff and it opens up a little bit of flexibility with how you're going to charge for things like that. But really it was just about, for, for me, the way that I thought about gear purchases was I never did any finance, anything. I never I paid cash for everything. I would work, I would get the gear and then I would work until I could get the next piece of gear and slowly but surely make things better along that way and constantly be updating my website, my reel and trying to get to the next level to basically show people, Hey, this is where I'm at now, but this is what I can do with whatever resources that I have. So that was the original part of the gear acquisition thing. I think that still makes sense today. I think that's still, um, if you are just starting out, it can be really hard to be able to come across projects where you can rent better gear, um, and, and build quickly, right? Cause it was all about speed for me. Um, you might be able to do it. It just might take a little bit longer uh, to get access to that. Or you have to have a bigger network of people that you can pull from, like of jobs, where jobs come in from and where you can pool with a rental house. You know, I know, especially in the States, if you get a good relationship with someone like a Panavision or a larger rental house, then it's like a, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type thing, which is another great way that you can go. But for me, I just, that, that just wasn't a possibility. So investing in gear early on made all of the difference. No doubt yeah. about it. I just, 
couldn't. And what did that. that look like financially? Like what uh, what made all the difference in terms of launching your career? So was it simply that your work looked better than it actually was, or that that they could afford? So that got you more jobs, or were you able to? charge close to double starting out because you had this equipment that you could bring onto the project that then allowed you to upgrade to better equipment. No, I think I charged, I think I charged the same and I think I undercharged for a long time because, yeah. because I knew the end game. I knew the end game was, it isn't like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. It's, it's not just a, a small little, okay, I'm going to do one step up as a cinematographer, right? One job can take your pay from, you know, level uh, D to level A. One job and, and the what do you mean? explain that a little bit differently. Well, one successful job, one person, one director that says, yeah. you know what, you're going to yeah. be the person and I'm going to take you from doing your crappy little jobs that you're doing here. And we're going to go do this Mercedes commercial. And all of a sudden you're making 10 times in a day what you were making in a month. That, that, that is yeah. a legitimate possibility. And it's happened to a bunch of people on the regular. That is a thing that happens all of the time. And in fact, that's often, I mean, that is why people do spec ads. Because you're trying to say, I want to go from whatever level I'm at now. I don't want to go to the next one. I don't want to do just a slightly better job. You want to, you know, level up multiple levels. And you can do that because the proof is in the pudding. Like if you have the job that looks the goods, well, that there's your proof of work right there. Like you did it. You're the person who gets the credit for it. The people see that. They then trust you to be able to get that level again. So they pay you more money. So it's like jumping up those huge levels made all the difference. So it was about getting as much work as I could to try and figure out myself how to get the good stuff so that then I could get people to pay me to do the good stuff. You know, so it was more, it definitely wasn't, um, am I, how am I going to get more financially successful quicker? It was more, yeah. how am I going to get to the better level of cinematography so that then I can get the financial rewards? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So you live in Australia, uh, and, uh, I'm curious how, when did that happen? How were you able to kind of establish yourself as a cinematographer uh, in Burbank and then make that move to Australia and still continue to kind of dominate in that field. Has it been, is it easier, uh, because there's less of a pool in Australia or talk to me about some of those dynamics. Yeah, I, I would say I, I, I have been a product of, uh, luckily falling forward, um, for a long time now. It's, I, I, I moved at, at a perfect time in my career where I had the skills necessary to get good stuff but I didn't have the opportunities and I didn't have the network that was going to get me the opportunities anytime quickly. So I moved to a marketplace just by sheer uh, coincidence. It was my wife is from Perth, which is, you know, the most isolated city in the world. Um, and we moved back here to start a family. That was essentially it. We met in Los Angeles and um, through circumstances that were out of our control, it's like, okay, it's time to, to go to Perth. So we moved to Perth and the market here is there was one other person shooting commercials when I showed up. Um, which significantly uh, is is better than the number of people shooting commercials in Los Angeles, right? It's a, it's a, much, <laughs> yeah. it's a much better ratio to the people out there. Plus, uh, you know, it has to be said uh, that I was an American in Australia with an accent that worked in the <laughs> film business. It's like, well, let's give this person a try. And especially in commercial, in the commercial world, where everything is like, you know, even the, the world's greatest directors, sometimes agencies or clients will, you, you go through working with that person. It's like, okay, we just need something fresh or something new. We need to, to try something outside of the box just to keep it interesting for them. And I just happened to come in at a time when there wasn't a lot of competition. People were looking for just a new eye on things. And I hadn't seen, you know, I hadn't worked in Australian commercials before. I didn't know uh, what the look was expected from clients and agencies and things like that. So I just brought in my own 
eye and sensibility. And luckily people thought it was different and new. And I was able to get a lot of work really, really quickly, which then gets you the contacts. And like we said earlier on this podcast, that it is still such a huge relationship business uh, in the commercial world where, you know, producers, production companies, they get really, really busy. They don't have time or they don't have the desire to go out there and look at, okay, who's the next big young cinematographer that's going to go out there and make this thing amazing. They've got five projects they got to do this month and they've got an hour to try and find somebody to book. And the, the person that they try isn't available. So then they go down to the next person on the list. It's like, please be available so you can do this thing because I trust you that you're going to deliver the good so that the client and the agency won't lose their minds. Like there is an element of, of, you know, it's just work and f- filling a spot basically and making sure that you have the goods to, uh, the ability to deliver the goods. And, and that's how initially I got in, you know, on the basis of being a little bit different, a little bit new and trying something, but even oh, here. Oh, Nagville, huh? They exactly. had never seen Nagville before in Australia. They, never, they well, they they had seen Nagville and they'd seen the uh, the easy rig float, but um, it was more just you're different and right. no one's ever heard of you, and you come in and I wasn't, you know, at a level that was uh, questionable in terms of like could he actually deliver? It's like I had enough results to be comfortable to take a chance, so it was like the uh, the perfect storm of opportunity. All right. So you also work all over the world. So I'm curious, what point were you able to get representation? Was it because of your resume? Talk to me about uh, how that happened. Was it um, you reaching out to them? Did they reach out to you? And uh, I'm sure you're represented all over the world, actually. So maybe by a couple different companies. Um, how did that happen? Um, well, it, it really started, all the international stuff started through the podcast. And, you know, it's like a, a running joke with me and the family that it's, sort of professionalism by proximity. You know, you talk to people that are really good and have great eyes and do great work and they work with great directors and have great agents and production companies that work with them. And they hear that they're on a podcast and before you know it, you know, your, your stuff is getting seen just because of your proximity to the people, right? They come on the show, they, they hear the conversation then they say, okay, who's doing the, who's doing the talking on the other side of this? So I was able to get a lot of exposure early on to, brands and to production companies and to agents who were, you know, significantly out of my league. So that was the initial thing. And then, like I said before, uh, on top of that came Instagram. And at the time uh, when I started doing Instagram, I was getting more jobs through Instagram than I was through my local network of people, which was just mind boggling. Like there was a time there, I can't remember what year it was, 2016, maybe 2017, where so many jobs were coming through Instagram. And now, I mean, I don't know, I'm not really, I don't really do Instagram anymore, but it didn't seem like, it seemed, it seemed like there was a real rush there. And that's really when all the international stuff started taking off because it was so easy to connect with people, right? You have your proof of work, which is your Instagram page and then your website and they can see that and they've got a job coming up and you just fly in, you do the job and that's it. And there's, there's no, um, it's significantly easier to find people that are off of the radar with Instagram, whereas before when you were trying to find great cinematographers, you know, you had to go to the agent, you had to get a list of the people that were going to be available, you had to go through, check all their stuff. It was really hard to keep tabs on people in between jobs and what they're up to and, you know, what kind of work that they're doing. And Instagram really solved all of that for keeping people up to date and keeping people engaged and excited about the work that you were doing and show some of the stuff that, you know, maybe an agency wouldn't pass on or, you know, you just might miss it because there's too much going on in your daily life and you're a director and you got lots of things to do. But if you start following people for inspiration, then you do come across that stuff and you do see, oh, this is the kind of style that the person is working for. And Instagram was great because it allowed you to put up things that you liked, right? It wasn't just 
this is the finished product for, you know, the bleach commercial, right? This is, uh, this is the way that I intended them to show you the bleach commercial. And then rather than this is how they actually showed you the bleach commercial, right? There's, you can do things with color. You can do things with the grade. You can um, just be able to put a little bit more of yourself out there rather than just your stock standard. This is the ad, the finished ad. This is what I was able to do. And, and that was it just opened up a lot more doors. So initially all of the international stuff came through Instagram and then much like here, it's just a network. It's a network of people of the director goes home and they go into wherever they're going to cut the thing at. And somebody comes in and says, Oh, you know, who shot that? And then two weeks later, you're getting a job from the director who was in the edit suite at the same time as the other person was just passing. And that's how, actually, that's how I initially got my start here in Australia. I got hooked up with a director. They were cutting something and inside in, in the next edit suite over someone else cutting something. They'd never heard my name and boom, the next week I was on their job and it just snowballed from there. So just, it really is, I always say, it's a big business and it happens all over the place, but it comes down to the people that you know and not, basically not shitting the bed on jobs. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> being able to deliver results and be a nice person that, especially in the role of a cinematographer, you, th- there should be no bad days. There should be no negativity. There should be no anything. You're there to help someone get a job done and you should be the, uh, at least the way that I see it, you should be the yes man of going, okay, whatever you want to do, we're going to try and find a way to make it happen. If I can't find a way to make it happen, I'm going to do more research to find a way to make it happen because that's what you're there for. You're, you're this little sidekick to this person trying to bring this thing into the world. And your job is to be as positive as you can and be as problem solving as you can. Um, so I don't know if that answered the question, but <laughs> that was, that was where no, I, I got, some, I got some information out of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Let's uh, let's talk about Wandering DP a little bit. So you, you started this podcast for very selfish reasons uh, to help kind of, def, you know, meet other pe- people, other cinematographers in the world and uh, pick their brains a little bit for an hour uh, a week to try and see if you could be better. Um, but then something happened. It became popular. People started listening to it. People got a lot of valuable information out of it. Uh, at what point did you realize that you were going to scale an audience and you could potentially monetize that audience? And how did you do that? It, it came from the realization that there was there was two really two audiences that listened to the podcast. There were people like directors, production companies, agents that would reach out and talk about shows, how much they love them, and how much bringing somebody on um, sent them down a certain path. And so the, the, it was a very vocal group of people that loved the interviews. But then what I was doing along the way is because there was not a whole lot of information about how to shoot, uh, not even commercials, but I mean really commercials is all I was doing at the time. But just something that was incredibly extensive down to the very detail of where you put the light and this is the result that you get. And I wanted a, an ability to, to track my progress, to track what I was getting from the conversations. I was actually implementing that and to do so in a public fashion so I had some accountability to myself. Again, more, <laughs> more for my own benefit of like, am I getting any better? Like if I actually put this out there, is it embarrassing? And if it's not embarrassing, okay, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. If it is embarrassing, well, I got to, you know, I, I'm accountable to it because I'm putting it out there for people to see. So I started doing breakdowns of my own work and through doing breakdowns of my own work, again, that sort of segmented the audience once again of people that were really interested in that people that were, you know, because it's one thing like Roger Deakins had an amazing form. I don't know if you ever went on it. Um, he had an amazing form back yeah. in the day where, I mean, you got Roger Deakins asking, you know, you ask your stupid questions and this guy responds, which is crazy that someone would take so the time to respond, right? It's bonkers, but he would do it. Yeah. Um, now you wouldn't answer everything, but sometimes it's really hard to learn from people that are that far ahead of you, right? Like mm-hmm. he forgets 
the steps that got him there. He just knows, yeah. and you know, maybe I'm just speaking for. We just put up 22 18ks across the field, and it's just like <laughs> I can't relate to this. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you don't hear the. I don't know. I, I learned so much more from people's failure, failures, right? Like you want to hear oh, yeah. some of the shit that just did not go to plan or didn't work, or um, so it's it's nice to learn from someone either a little bit behind you or a little bit in front of you, like just somewhere in your world. And so I started to pick up on that that people were actually interested in this, and there wasn't a lot of that. Um, but then just through the way that commercials work and through sharing work, it just wasn't possible that I was going to be able to share the actual videos of my commercial to the wider audience, like the general public. Mm -hmm. There was just too many boundaries in the way. So I decided, okay, well, what if there was an area where I could do some of those things, where I could uh, talk about longer form films or something that was copyrighted in the public domain? Could I do that um, in a smaller group? Because the podcast audience grew so big. It was like, I don't know who's listening. I don't know um, you know, what they're in it for. So it just became a little bit of a, a logistical nightmare of going like, I don't know if I want to share this with people like talking about my failures this badly, <laughs> you know, to the general <laughs> world. But if there was a small group of people that I knew were cinematographers and wanted to get better at cinematography and we could create this little tiny group, it might be beneficial for them to hear this stuff. And so maybe to just have a, um, what is the word, a barrier to entry Oh, I could just start charging for this service that I would share these things if you would support the podcast. And that's originally how Patreon came about. It's just like, okay, every week on top of the normal podcast, I'm just going to do a separate one that is significantly more honest because I know mm -hmm. that the group is smaller and that their intentions there are to get better at cinematographers because that's the only reason you would be in there. Yeah. So that's that. I mean, that is how the Patreon model grew. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger and, and went from there. And people have been, you know, in, once the group was formed, which is the best part, is because the group is comprised of all these people that uh, want to get better at cinematography, the ideas that come out of there, they're, you know, they're people that are in the group that are significantly better than I am as, as a cinematographer. Um, but they help the people that are brand new. And this little ecosystem of people helping other people get better. As soon as you, uh, you know, basically my cinematography is open source. It's like, this is exactly how I did what I did. <laughs> you can go out yeah. there and you can copy, you can put the light in the exact spot I told you to, you can get the exact same light in this thing, you will get the exact same result. And you know, remember I started trying to glean information from people so that I could get better. Well, now I'm putting the information out there, not so someone else can get better, but so someone else can see it and be like, oh, you didn't do that right. <laughs> or you could have done this, this would have been more efficient or try this way instead of this way or use this lens instead of that lens. And now we're at the point where the group is so strong that people know the system that I use in my head so well that they're improving on the system. So it's, it's actually making me better seeing people inside of that group push the levels of what the system is able to do because I've essentially, um, I haven't really formed a system, but just through trial and error have come up with these things that I really like to see in cinematography. And I have passed that on to everyone around me because I can't help but talk about it. So now they know it better than I know it. And then they pass that information back to me and I can see the examples and the results. And what ends up happening is they take the, they take the Patreon rewards where they want them to go. You know, we've, we've gone through a number of different schemes of like what people want to hear. Do they want to hear more about uh, the business side of things? Do they want to see more breakdowns on feature films? Do they want to see whatever it is? We've tried a bunch of different stuff and it all comes from user feedback. So I didn't even have to come up with the ideas of what people want. They tell me this is what we want. It's like, okay, well, if that's going to make us better, let's do it. And that's how, yeah. that's how the Patreon has grown to, to what it is today. 
Incredible. So, so you don't just monetize the podcast or your audience, I should say, with uh, Patreon. You've also started to create courses. Can you talk to me about uh, why you're doing that? Yeah. I, the, the, the course was really because there had been so much content and because I was, you know, just, um, what's the best way to put it? I'm, I was basically stumbling around in the dark trying to come up with ways to make cinematography easier for me whether that's through all of the interviews or whether it's through the breakdown podcasts, uh, just trying to find ways to make myself better. And eventually after now 270 of the regular podcasts and 400 more behind Patreon, you know, this there's days wow. and days and days of both video and audio content. And it's overwhelming, right? Like I assume because I've been doing all the talking for eight years that everybody just understands what I'm talking about right? Because I'm in my little closet talking to myself and I definitely know what I'm talking about. So surely if you've been following along, you know, but it, 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 I came to the realization pretty quickly that no one, or I mean, very few people could follow along with the breakdowns because I had gotten so in my own head with like the phrases that I was using and the terminology that I was saying and the way that I was saying it, like it made sense to me, but it was just, it was too much for new people. Um, so I didn't want that. So I basically, instead of listening to the last, you know, 18 days in a row of 600 podcasts and trying to filter out the junk or the noise and get down to what is actually making a big difference. I just sat down and said, okay, what would I, how would I explain to my daughter if she wanted to be a cinematographer, what's the easiest way to do it and the fastest way to set yourself up to get the best results that you can. So I, I lay it out in the easiest way possible of these are the exact steps. And this is the roadmap that I would tackle those steps in. So that you can get up to speed and get as much information as you can from the podcast and really from the group, because the group inside of Patreon with the, we have a, it's like a little discord server there where people are constantly chatting back and forth and asking questions and the hive mind is sort of taking over there. And in order to get a lot of benefit from it, though, you have to get up to speed as fast as possible because everybody has to be at least aware of the terminology and what we mean when we say those things. So the course was really born out of, okay, what's the most efficient way to onboard somebody into the system so that they can start contributing. Uh, and that's where the courses were born out of. So it's been really successful. It's been awesome to see uh, people get the results that they're getting. And yeah, I don't know what the future is holding, but the, you know, the latest course is all done in virtual reality um, or not virtual reality, basically like a video game style <laughs> tracer, where you can actually come on set. Like you can. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah, we're on set in a virtual world and I'm, you know, before on the podcast, I'm like drawing pictures on top of a still image and it's really hard to get a sense of where the lights are. But now mm -hmm. you can come and I, I just walk you through an entire commercial of this is exactly what I'm thinking. We go through the whole tech scout process. We go through the location scouts. What are you looking for? What are the pros and cons? Why would you be thinking this? And I'm basically just talking to you like I would be talking in my head about building this commercial up. And then we go on set and we shoot the whole thing with the cameras, the yeah. lenses, the lights, the time of day, the environment, all that stuff. Like you're on set and it's so mind boggling how easy it is now. If you know, if you take that course and you take the information in there and you come across a commercial that is any way sort of similar to the environment that we set up there, you can do it. <laughs> you know, you can do it yeah. the exact same way. So, uh, still sort of deciding whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, whether it's actually, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually making cinematography better. But it, but it yeah. feels like from the results that I see people get, it's like, wow, they're, they're getting good stuff. And maybe it's just like, maybe I am like the, what's the guy in the matrix? You're just a narcissist. What? Yeah. Maybe I think it's, yeah, yeah. Just, it's like, it, it, maybe they, maybe their, their stuff is, is dog shit, but, uh, because yeah. it looks like what you do. You exactly. know, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. the danger. <laughs> I could be the agent Smith of this world and I could be infecting the cinematography world with just dog shit. 
and I didn't even know it. And like, I have terrible taste, but I have just yeah, it's terrible. Have infected everyone with terrible taste. Yeah, no, you clearly don't. You're clearly incredibly talented and, and the work shows. Uh, I, I, am, I do want to talk about your time though, because your time is probably incredibly valuable on set, you know, three to $500 an hour, I would assume. And so, you know, what do you, how do you justify taking days and days to out of your schedule to write the scripts for these things, to go through to get a camera, to hire a crew to create these commercials? Is it, is it been beneficial? Will it continue to be beneficial for you in the future? Yeah. The, I mean, the, the glorious part about this job is that it's not like I'm choosing to do any of this. Like I, like I say on all of my stuff, if I could be out there shooting, I wouldn't be talking to you or to anyone else. Cause that's the fun stuff. I would be doing that. If I could be really yeah. successful, that's what I would be doing. Um, now that's what I have been saying for a long time. And it is true. Like, you know, you are, uh, I'm not turning down work to do YouTube stuff or the podcast or the Patreon stuff. Never have I ever done that. Mm. Um, and I, yeah. uh, you know, it's just the, the nature of the job is I don't really work that much. Like, so I have a lot of free time, <laughs> like with all of this stuff that I've built up studying, I'm not really expending it that much. Um, now that was the case. And, and then I shot a feature film, um, what it'd be almost two years back. And I always had this goal of, okay, you do the commercials, then you do the features, then you do the bigger features. And my eyes were just open to the reality that that might not be the best thing for me. That might not in terms of lifestyle of what I actually want to yeah. do. Maybe I just, I didn't know that that's not what I wanted to do. And, and it was a really, you know, it was a huge shift in my thinking of now, well, where is my time best spent? Like, am I, am I doing this, uh, uh, am I maximizing my time just going out and shooting my commercials that I do here and then passing that on through the podcast? Or could I affect more change? And could I be a, more of a positive influence if I shared more of this stuff? Because, you know, the path that I had laid out in front of me of, okay, go from little feature to the next big feature to the next big feature and then become some crazy great cinematographer. Um, that's just, that just blew up in my face <laughs> in the, in the idea that I, didn't, I don't know if I want to do that. I definitely don't want to follow the path that I had thought that I had laid out for myself. So now is the first time where it's been like, okay, well, what am I actually going to do? Like, where can I be the most impactful with what I do? And, you know, it makes, it sounds trivial, but I could go out there and I could shoot a commercial and it could end up on, you know, TV that nobody watches, or I could sit down and show somebody, show a ton of people how to do it. And maybe they could go out there and they could create the next big thing. You know, I don't know which one is more impactful. It's still in that sort of balancing phase of where, where is the time best going to be spent? Is it going to be spent helping other people see this stuff or is it me going out there and doing my own little thing on my own and then reporting back still, still up for grabs basically. Yeah. A lot of people talk to me, ask me about the work-life balance. I do primarily features. I, I shot seven films last year and about killed me. And um, so I, I get that question a lot. Talk to me about work-life balance. I have two daughters. I think you have a daughter. Um, uh, that I love to spend time with my, my wife and my, my kids. Um, but you know, when I'm on location doing a film, I, you know, I'm working 14 hours a day, six days a week, whatever. And I just don't have that opportunity, that luxury. Uh, talk to me about, um, how you've been able to balance that a little bit. Yeah. Um, that is, and then my family, my, my, my youngest, my daughter, she basically changed that, that goal. Cause I, I did, I mean, I had the, the glory of shooting a feature in my own hometown. I was able to sleep in my own bed, which is really rare. Um, and, and, but just the time away for such a small thing. And it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. Very proud of the work that we did, but still it's like, I can project out into the future just how much I would be away. And am I willing to be away that long? Right. And it's a very personal question because some people um, would definitely say yes. And some people would say, no, I, I am not prepared 
to sacrifice the time of my daughter growing up without me there. Um, and that is the, that's the, the way that it comes down to it. So anything that will impair me being there um, takes a backseat. So do I need to find another way to make income? Well, then I got to find another way to make income. Am I going to be the world's greatest cinematographer? No, it's not going to happen. That's the reality of the choice that I made. So then it's dealing with those choices. So everything comes from the hierarchy of, okay, how long am I going to be away from the family? Um, is it worth it? Am I going to be able to take more time off um, on the back end because of it? What am I going to be missing during that time? So my work-life balance starts with that question of, well, okay, I don't want to do the feature films because it's going to take me away for a long time. So now I'm going to do commercials and then I'm going to do local commercials. You know, it's been significantly easier the last 12 months because it's all been local. Um, But going forward, I don't know. Am I going to do that job in China and and be away for two weeks? Or, you know, do I stay home and and do the little two-day job here? And, you know, it comes back to also income. Like this is a reality. You can probably make more doing the local job because you have all your gear there. If you are, if you are the rental house as well, it's like, I'm now I'm giving up. Well, it's a tricky balance though, because you're giving up. Okay. The job is going to be nowhere near as good, right? It's going to be some retail spot ad that is close to home here, but you get all of the income from the rental gear. You get your normal day rate. You get to go home. You get to see everybody, have a good laugh, or you can go to China and shoot some amazing Reebok ad or something. Um, and the, and maybe that launches you to your next big, but like the, the end goal of that is if you do go somewhere, right? Doesn't matter where it is. You go do shoot some crazy thing. You know what you get for as your reward? You get to go somewhere else to do some other big crazy thing. <laughs> you know, it's, it never it, unless maybe it works backwards in Los Angeles or New York where there's like a hub. No. Or maybe you can come back and be like, okay, now I'm the big dog in LA, so I'm not going to leave LA, right? Like that's the you you go you do your service outside internationally, and then you can come back and. Um, be a big dog there, but here it's never going to work like that. The, the, the reward is more travel and it's, that's, yeah. that's a, a slippery slope once you start. And I get it too, because you go away and you're, you know, it's like a, if you've ever been on a really big production where they're really pushing the boundaries, cinematography is pushing the boundaries, the director is, you know, on point and they're really trying to create something cool. That environment is incredibly addictive incredibly addictive because you're like, yes, we got all the tools. We got everybody pumped up. We got the producer wants to do this and this, and they're all saying yes. And all the big ideas are coming off because, uh, you know, they, they really want to make this thing cool. When you go back to a project that doesn't have that mentality, which is more like, listen, we have this set amount of money. Let's get this thing done for this set amount of money. Like we can't really, we're not really trying to win some crazy award here or trying to do something outside the box. It's a completely different industry. You know, it's a completely different work experience on set. You become um, not a, you know, you're not ticking boxes, but you, you're basically ticking boxes. You're like, oh, don't make it as nice as you can for whatever you have versus. No, I agree. Not I agree. Great. You get into the mentality a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And you get rewarded for that. Like if you, you know, if you do a great job on the crazy big commercial and you make it look amazing, you, you get results that way. If you're doing something smaller, if you get the job done and everybody's happy, you get rewarded, you know, it's like a different reward system mm. as well. So it's, I guess it's just deciding on what you want to do and being really careful about making sure that you actually want what you want. Because I, yeah, I mean, I would say two years of traveling around was probably not the, I could have been more efficient not doing that if I had known, but I guess you can't really know until, you know, someone could have told me and I would have been like, you're crazy. Like, no, I want to do features forever. I want to do the biggest ones. I want to make them the best that they can possibly be. And I could think of nothing else that would give me more satisfaction than doing that. 
Um, and then that changes overnight and you say, well, <laughs> I wish someone would have told me two years ago so I could have, uh, you know, not become a, a platinum member of the whatever airline you're on. So you touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but I, I want you to uh, answer the question specifically. What uh, advice would you have for young creatives, not just specifically cinematographers, but young creatives starting out? Uh, I would say, well, exactly what I just said then <laughs> would be the easy answer, which is make sure that you have actually sat down and talked to someone or done the thought experiment for yourself to what success looks like because you will get it, right? If you work hard and if you do all the right things, it's just a matter of time before you get the necessary skills and the contacts. Like uh, if you just don't stop doing whatever it is you're doing, eventually you're going to pick it up, right? Unless there's something seriously wrong with you, then that's a possibility too. But if there's not, it's just a war of attrition. Like you just have to keep going. If you never, ever stop, you'll eventually get there. The important thing is, do you know the consequences of getting there? Like, will you actually enjoy that? Will that bring you more satisfaction than something else? So I would say, make sure either through talking to someone or actually sitting down and doing the experiment yourself of, is what I'm chasing worth all of this effort? And if it is, that's great. I mean, and then you have a whole host of things if you're a creative that you have to tackle. But without that one thing, that was the one thing that I missed, right? That I didn't, that I didn't answer early on in any of those podcasts that I didn't even think to question was, well, what's the end game? Where, what am I, what am I trying to get out of this? And, you know, it, it changes along the way. At first I was thinking, oh, I just need to get cool stuff. So people will think I'm a good cinematographer. <laughs> and then that morphs into something new. And then you realize that, wait a second, I just spent 10 years doing this. Like, am I happy with what I'm doing? Is this, is this working for me? So I would say from just an overall creative aspect, I would say, make sure the goals that you're going after uh, line up with what you actually want to do. And if they do, then, then, you know, it makes it uh, very, very easy to stomach. It also gives you more motivation because you know the path that you're on. If you're just doing it because you're falling into something, um, you know, it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do if you're a young person to just take the time out and actually think forward and talk to people that know. But um, I would say easier to talk to someone and probably from what I've found, less so on a podcast, less so on a public uh, forum like this, people are a little bit more reluctant to talk about the day-to-day -day struggles. Um, probably the most beneficial time I've had on the podcast is we actually came to Los Angeles and did a whole bunch of recordings a few years ago. And the conversations that I had with cinematographers before we started the show were, was the best content that the podcast ever produced and it never aired. You know, it was just the conversations that happened early on where you hear, like we brought in the most successful people and you hear the conversations <laughs> that they're having about their lives. Like, what does it actually mean to be super successful as whatever it is that you're doing? There are so many costs, so many costs. And you only, if you only look at one thing, which is the success or the amount of work that they're putting out, like someone's life could just be in the toilet and you think it's going great because they're doing these crazy things in whatever creative space you're in when in fact their life is horrendous. Right. So I would say, yeah, reach out to people because they're, they're, people are happy to share. Um, you know, if you reach out with an intent to, to, to be a good person and to, and to listen and to actually take it on board and you show that you're not some, you know, you're not just trying to skip ahead and get ahead of the system, people respond well to that. So I would say my advice would be get out there and, and make sure that the, the goals that you're going after are, are, are what you want to do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for your time. I, I can't tell you how valuable this was for me and I, and I hope the listeners as well. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, easiest spot to find me is just by Googling Wandering DP. You can find my own personal work there. You can find uh, links to the podcast, to the Patreon group, to all the courses, everything like that. Just Google Wandering DP. That's it. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. 
All right. Thank you, Patrick. That was incredible. I just, I love that guy. I love his brain. And uh, I hope you did too. Anyway, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.